0: Uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking about um, the gift of love, and uh, it's interesting when I look at this John 3.16, right? I mean, it's certainly one everybody knows, everybody's memorized. I don't know how many times I've seen it written on a piece of cardboard at a football game. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's like everybody knows this one, and yet I looked at my messages and I realized I had never, and I've done about uh, 160 messages, is my count, and I've yet to do a message on John 3.16. And I thought, well, that was really interesting. And, and I quoted John 3.16 a whole bunch of times in messages. And of course, I've shared John 3.16 more times than I can count, but I'd never done a message on John 3.16. And so I thought for curiosity's sake, I would just go out and see, is this common? Are there, are there a lot of pastors who haven't done a message on John 3.16? And I was really surprised. I mean, I looked at, a whole bunch of guys, Piper, and MacArthur, and a bunch of others, and I found the record that I could find was Spurgeon. The first time he covered John three sixteen was on his, when he did message, 1850. So I figured 160, I'm not, that's, that's not bad, I'm okay, right? So, uh, anyway, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, again, what we, 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 you know, we, that verse is just so common, and yet, it's so deep, it has so much in it, and so we're gonna to try to unpack um, John 3.16 today. Um, and it really doesn't matter whether you're newborn in, 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 the, in the faith or whether you've been here a long time, the, the, the love of God is the foundation of what we hold dear. Um, it's the foundation that we rest on, um, the loving sacrifice of his son, right? For God so loved the world. Um, and the love of God is an amazing thing because it was given to a lost and ruined world. You know, we think of love, and we think of, all oh, we give our love to our children and all the kind of stuff, and it's, that makes sense. But God gave his love to this fallen world. And we're going to look at that. Now, you might wonder, what was it about us where we deserved God's love? Well, it's simple. Nothing. We had absolutely nothing too good that deserved God's love, and yet He gave it to us anyway. I mean, the world was at enmity with Him. They hated Him. They refused to follow His, to obey Him, to follow His law. They rebelled against His commandments. They refused to bow their knee to it, and yet God loved it. Where does that love come from? And that's the beauty of it that love comes from God Himself. Um, it's his very nature. His love springs from himself. Uh, and our love is a byproduct of that for we're created in the image of God and we have the capacity to love only because we're created by God that way. Um, we read in First John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let's love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God has such love in his nature um, that it flows forth into the world that's perishing without it. Without, I can't imagine a world without love if if God's love wasn't in this world. Um, And it flows so deep and so wide um, and so strong that our human minds can't really grasp the size of it. Um, and we look at that because the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the writing of John 3, 16, used that little word, so. For God so loved the world. And I think so is really kind of an interesting word. Um, now, as many of you know, um, our family's big into reptiles, and, and we go to shows and play with snakes and stuff. And the, um, the first time one of my grandsons We went down, there's a really big albino python. It's like 24 feet long and down at uh, Tropical Kingdom. And the first time that my son looked at, uh, my grandson looked at this, he didn't just say, oh, that's a big snake. No, he looked and he says, Grandpa, that snake is so big, right? And we use so because we can't explain that big isn't big enough. So we say it's so big, right? And that's what we see here. God so loved the world because it's so large. I mean, we can't grasp our minds around how much God loved us. Um, now, unlike the snake or anything else in the world, for that matter, we cannot express the extent to which God loves us. It's, it's unfathomable. We, we're, we don't have that capacity. Um, but we know kind of how he displayed it, right? Because historic history tells us that there was an occasion at which God could display his love, Right? The earth had fallen, had gone astray, had lost itself. It was tried and condemned. The world had given over to perish, and because of its, fence, of its offenses, it needed help. The fall of Adam and the destruction of mankind made ample, ample opportunity for the Almighty to show the extent of his love. Uh, amid the ruins of humanity, there was space for showing how much God loved the sons of man. Um, the object of his love was no less than the whole world. The purpose of his love was no less than to deliver men and women from going to the pit of hell. And the result of his love was no less than the finding of a ransom for the many and the perfect sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. The desperate disease of man gave God the opportunity for the introduction of a divine remedy, which God alone devised and applied he found the means and the method to display his boundless love to the guilty men and women of the world. Had there been no fall and no perishing, God would have shown his love to us as he does to the pure and perfect angels that are in heaven. But that would never have shown the extent of love that he showed in us in a fallen world. The gift of his only begotten son, God presented to us, while we were yet sinners, in due time Christ would die for the ungodly. We read in Romans 5, verses 6 to 11, For while we are still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom we have now received the reconciliation. Excuse me. The dark background of sin makes bright the light of God. If it was not for the darkness of our soul, the writing of the cross on our hearts wouldn't have been visible. But because of our heart's darkness, the cross shines brightly on us. Again, here is love. Now, I'm going to break the rules on a sermon. I know I'm only supposed to have three, but today we're going to have four points that i want to make so i know i I won't pass this class but the uh (laughs) so so what we're going to look at i'm going to try to go through my points in the form of questions Uh, and the first question is this what is the nature of the gift of love now again i'd be first to admit that any attempt to fully explain the nature of the gift of jesus christ um will fail miserably And I ask that you accept the fact that as mere humans, we are incapable of fully understanding the extent of the love of Jesus Christ. And as a human messenger, I'm quite likewise incapable of sharing with you the extent of Jesus' love. Can't do that. I'm gonna do the best I can. Uh, And I ask that you journey with me as we attempt to wrap our minds around the greatness of this gift. I invite you to open your mind and think of the sacred person who the Father gave us in order that he might prove the love he has for men and women. All right, so the first part of the answer to which the nature of the gift has to do with the gift that God gave us it was his only begotten son, his beloved son in which he was well-pleased, right? We reach in Matthew 3.16. It's easy how many 3.16s in the Bible that are really good. I, one time I went through, I did all the 3.16s, you know, there's, First Timothy, there's John, there's you know, Matthew. Anyway, uh, Matthew 3:16 and 17. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine seeing that? John the Baptist seeing this, you know, wow, right? Now, first of all, we have to note that as men and women, we have no such son to give. Uh, Ours are the son of men. This was the son of God. The father gave his other self, one with himself. When God gave his son, he gave himself because his son was fully God. Yeah. Tough to fathom. God the Father gave God the Son to us. What more could he give? He gave all he could give. He gave himself. Now, I know there's a lot of fathers in this room. How many of you would give up your son for the enemy? Probably not too many of us. But he did. God did. Father God had the only begotten Son who was God. Their hearts were fully entwined, and yet he gave up his son for us. Maybe that's just an unfathomable sacrifice. And I'm going to lose it just a bit, <laughs> so I apologize in advance. It's one of the love things I love about doing this is that it's so much more for me because of how much time I get to spend in the Word and trying to understand something like that. It's just, um, I'll be honest with you, I spent a lot of tearful days This week, as I just tried to get my grasp my mind around this love of God, it's just an incredible thing. Um, um, So, we read in um, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 3. Oh, no, it's not right. Yep, it is. I'm sorry, getting lost in my notes. Now, it came after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and they set out and went to the place on which God had told them. There was no higher proof of Abraham's love than his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac for God. and We know the story, right? Abraham is old, right? He's nine. I always thought, 99 to have a kid, which means he's going to be a teenager when you're 115. <laughs> it's like, but Isaac showed how, I mean, Abraham showed up how much he loved God by the willingness to sacrifice his son. Um, and there was certainly no greater display of love than the eternal father who is willing to give up his only begotten son for us. Now, as I count, I have six kids. I have one stepchild, two children that Don and I uh, brought forth, two we adopted, and one foster kid who's not technically ours, but we treat it that way anyway. Um, now, would I give up any of them to save the rest? No, nope. I can't pick one. I can't say this one's more valuable than another. I would not give any of them. And would I give up any of them to save the enemy or the lost? No more so. I'd rather give up myself than to lose any of them. Yet God not only gave up his only son, but gave him up to mankind that was in enmity with him. And for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the second part of this nature is what matter, uh, the nature of the gift has to do with how God gave up his son. Now, you might think that, you know, God would give up his son to pursue some profession uh, so he could still enjoy his company, you know, much like we would let our sons, or daughters, go off to college or, you know, because we know we're going to have to give them up so they can go and move forward. But no, he gave up his son to be exiled by man he gave up his son to set him down in a manger, united with perfect manhood as an infant. There he slept where cattle ate. The Lord God sent his, inter, his eternal son to work at a carpenter's shop, driving nails, pushing the plane, sawing wood. He sent him down among scribes and Pharisees that held this watchful eye over him and accused him of all sorts of things through cruel tongues that insulted him with baseless slander. He sent him down to hunger, to thirst, to poverty, unbearable so that he had nowhere to lay his head. He sent him down. He sent him down to the scourging and to give his back to the whip. Crowning of thorns, cheeks to have the hair plucked out of. And in the end, he gave him up to death, a criminal's death, the death on a cross, crucified. Imagine that cross and see the anguish of him who dies upon it. And notice how the Father has so given him that he hides his face from him and seems as if he would not own him. We read in Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sapachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lema sapachthani tells us how fully God gave his son for the ransoms of the souls of men. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The eyes of the Father turned away from his Son as he breathed his last few breaths upon the cross. It's one thing to see your children pursue a godly mission overseas at the risk of deadly peril, but God gave up His Son to be made a curse for us. Gave him up that he might die for the just for the unjust to bring us to God. The third part of the answer as to what was the nature of the gift has to do with when God gave up his son. In his eternal purpose, God gave up his son before the foundation of the world. The verse in the third chapter of John happened while Jesus was still alive. If you recall, it happened during the conversation with Nicodemus, right? But we hear about the first gift in Genesis. Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15 writes, Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock, and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And throughout time, God has stood firm with his gift. He will never take it away. I want you to sink in. I want you to think about that, that this happened since the beginning of time. He knew the sacrifice that he was going to give. Now, it would be one thing to know that soon your child would die. And another thing completely, if you were told the day, Some many years in the future that you knew your child would die. And yet quite another if you were told that your child would die as a criminal, scourged with whips and nailed to a tree. Wouldn't any parent, if they knew that was going to happen to their son, live in anguish hourly knowing that that time was about to come, That that their child would have to go through such a process? And yet, God knew those very details from before the beginning of time and carried that weight through his eternity. And that gift hasn't ended, that gift continues to anyone who believes in him. The fountain is eternal, the water is forever fresh. As it was on the first day, it will not be exhausted. Sorry about that. I just, like I said, when I went through this and just tried to grasp it, it was just, it's just an amazing thing. So what is the purpose of the gift? Well, the purpose is simple. To provide for the salvation of, the men and, of men and women. We read, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So what is it to believe in Jesus? Well, first is to put your trust in him. I pray that everyone hearing this message today online and here have done so, that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you give a firm agreement with the truth that God did send his son, born of a woman, to stand in the place of guilty men and women, and God placed upon him the sins of all so that he carried the weight and paid the punishment of our transgressions being made a curse for us. We must fully believe the scripture which says in Isaiah 53, 4, and 5, However, it was our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and it is by his wounds we are healed. The message of the gospel is covenant of grace as different from the covenant of works as light is from darkness. As Dan many times, right? Salvation in Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ plus nothing. Exactly, nothing. And we know the world kicks back upon such a message. The world wants to contribute, but it has nothing to contribute. All God. We know from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The second part in believing in Christ is that you have to do it for yourself. No one can do it for you, and you can't do it for anyone else. That trust is a personal trust between you and Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, you were not there to take responsibility for the fall. But in your own sin, you must take responsibility as we know all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. Therefore, in salvation, you must accept a gift of grace yourself and put your personal trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. So, first comes agreement with the truth, then acceptance of the truth for yourself, and then the simple trusting of yourself wholly to Christ as a substitute. The essence of faith is trust, reliance, and dependence on Jesus Christ. I think it's great that our salvation doesn't depend on us, but only on our faith in Jesus Christ, which is the gift. Now, the third question is this to whom? is the gift available. Read in verse 16, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, there's two extremes in interpreting this verse. Of course, we land kind of in the middle. So one extreme, our Calvinist friends believe that everyone is limited to the elect. That is, everyone whom God has called, and that there are some people who have been intentionally left out of everyone by God. The other extreme is what's called universalism. Universalism believes that it's impossible that a loving God would elect only a portion of humankind to salvation and doom the rest to eternal punishment. And therefore, they believe all of mankind will inevitably be saved whether they accept Jesus Christ or not. But the verse clearly says everyone who believes will have eternal life. So the key here is believing. Because everyone who believes will have eternal life. This is an important distinction, right? Because anyone who believes can be part of everyone who believes. Romans 10, verses 8 to 10 says, uh, says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Therefore, the only requirement, everyone who believes will have eternal life. There is no one beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. Now, when I was first a Christian, I really struggled with that, because I thought to myself, I don't deserve this love. I don't deserve this mercy and grace. And as I've grown, I found out, you're right, I don't. (laughs) He gave it to me anyway. (laughs) And all I have to do is trust in him about it. I'm glad it's not about me, because I feel miserable if it was. So my fourth question is this. What is the effect of the gift? We read that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Does that mean our earthly form shall never die? (laughs) I hope that's not true. (laughs) Because I personally would hate to think that I'm bound to this body that I'm currently in. That wouldn't be a blessing, that would be a curse. Now, while John 3, 16 is often quoted in probably one of the most memorized verses in Scripture, but it's important that we look beyond verse 16 into verse 17 and 18. John 3, 17 and 18 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now God is a holy God and heaven is a holy place and only the righteous can enter. But who are the righteous? We need only look at a verse somewhat earlier in the very same chapter to answer that question. Romans 3 verses 10 to 12 says, as it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have been corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. We are all sinners. We are all unrighteous. So we are automatically not worthy of heaven in ourselves. We have already been judged unworthy. I often hear the complaint from people, well, I don't think a loving God would send people to hell. No, the unbeliever is already in hell. Jesus Christ just gives them a way out. God created a path for the condemned to be made righteous, to be freed from hell. By exhibiting the grace, accepting the free gift of grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can now live eternally in heaven because we have been made righteous by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Such is the love of God the Father. So in closing, I want to recap our points. Again, I apologize because the ability to wrap our minds around the love of God is just beyond our capacity. But I hope I provided some reflection on what it was. And what he did. So what is the nature of the gift? From the creation of the world, God gave nothing less than a part of himself in the sinless life of his only begotten son. To be born a man, to live a life of poverty, and die a criminal's death for us. What is the purpose of the gift? To provide all who believe salvation through God's gift of grace, shown by the individual, personal, and complete trust and our Savior, Jesus Christ. To whom is the gift available? Simply to all who believe. And finally, what is the effect of the gift? All who believe are glorified and made righteous and therefore able to spend eternity in heaven with the Holy Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. As you celebrate Christmas, rest upon the truth that God, due to His great love, walked down the stairs from heaven and laid his son, a baby, in his arms in a manger, given for all mankind that believe so that we can be restored to him. Father, we are so grateful for your love. So difficult to fully understand, to to even wrap our arms around just the hint of it, the great sacrifice that you gave yourself for us, knowing from the beginning of time what suffering your son would go through for a humanity that was in enmity with you. We pray, Lord, as we go through this Christmas season that we don't lose sight and that we share with the world that God so loved everyone He gave His Son so that none need die, but all can have eternal life. Amen.